Recently, a man sent me an email, and he identified himself as being a pastor of a church in the Philippines. And he wrote a nice email. And at the bottom of his email, he signed it, Reverend So-and-so. I immediately sent him a correction telling him we should not be calling ourselves Reverend. Paul did not call himself Reverend. Peter did not call himself Reverend. No man in the Old or New Testament called himself Reverend. And these are examples for us to go by. Paul called himself, he was an apostle and teacher. Peter was an apostle and elder. Jesus appointed to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the work of the ministry. So it's proper to call yourself apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher, or you might have two offices. But to sign your name reverend, when there's no example in the Bible of anyone doing that? And I told him, there's only one time in the Bible the word reverend is mentioned, and it's in Psalm 111. And it says, holy and reverend is his name, God's name. He wrote me back and said that he agreed with me and he'd stop doing that. But God said this to me. When they tried to call you reverend, you would not permit it. And that's right. Now, why do they, did they permit it when I wouldn't permit it? And God said, because you have in you the Holy Spirit of truth, and they do not. They have another spirit. And it loves to be praised by men, and they love to exalt themselves, and this is very evil. The first time I ever encountered the situation of this subject, Reverend, I was on radio, had been on radio for a few months, and a woman came to me and said, I'm a re one of your fans. Then when she got to know me better, she said, what do you, what do we call you, reverend? And I said, oh, no, don't call me that. You call me Joan like you'd call Paul, Paul. Don't call me reverend. Now, this is the only time in 40-some-odd years that anyone has ever tried to call me reverend, but if they did try to call me reverend, I would tell them exactly the same thing I'm telling you. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong to call anyone reverend, and it is wrong for any human to allow anyone to call themselves reverend and to provoke people this way. This is wrong. There was a Baptist woman that for a short period of time was a real estate agent for me in the selling of a house. During that period of time, she told me how her nephew was graduating 
from a Baptist seminary, and they were all going to go to his graduation. And I almost said to her, well, have a good trip. But there's one thing that I know from the Bible. If we say that to someone, we partake of their evil deeds if there's evil involved. And I could just imagine that at this graduation ceremony, all of a sudden, everyone's going to call this young man reverend. Now they can call him reverend. And that would be evil. John said, if we wish them well, we become partakers of their evil deeds. Second John, we'll read that. Second John, I think it starts at verse 8. I am very, very careful about ever wishing anyone well. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ for us is the New Testament Bible. So if they depart from any portion of the New Testament Bible and go another way, they don't have God. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine of the New Testament Bible, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. I do not randomly wish people well because if they go out and do something evil, that puts me as a partaker of their evil deeds and I will suffer loss in heaven, according to the Apostle John. I will not receive a full reward. There are very few people that I know that I would ever wish well. I would definitely wish Pam Paget well, who is a member of the body of Christ and has proven it to me over and over and over. And I see her works. I have an opportunity to see them firsthand, and I know what she does. But most people, I don't know what they're going to do, and that includes church people. You don't know what they're going to do. We had a Bible teacher at Word of Faith. He was our Bible teacher. He was committing fornication. He was going to bars at night and picking up women, committing fornication while he taught us Bible. And we loved him. And this is how he was living. You don't know what they're doing in private. You don't know what your pastor's doing in private. You don't know. There's been so much scandal in both the Catholic and Protestant churches. You just don't know what they're doing. I have a friend. He was the builder of the last house that I built. He was a contractor. He attends a Catholic church, and he says that He just watches those priests after the service and sees what they're really doing. Are they putting their hands on little children, boys, 
because child abuse is one of the greatest problems there. I once told him, I said, well, if they would let their ministers marry, they wouldn't have as much of this going on in the Catholic Church. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about letting them marry. And I said, well, Peter was married. And he was just shocked. He almost fainted. He said, Peter? I said, yes, he had a mother-in-law. He had faithful children because it says in the Bible he was an elder, and to be an elder in the church by the Bible standards, you have to have faithful children. So Peter had faithful children. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. And I got the Bible and read all these passages of Scripture to this contractor, and he was just shocked. Later, I found out that they think Peter started the Catholic Church. What an abomination. Poor Peter. I'm so glad he doesn't know that. The Apostle Paul told us things would be really bad in the end time, in the last days, and I believe that's where we live. Paul said in Second Timothy 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. In verse 5, Paul shows that he's talking about the churches having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This chapter is about what's going to go on in churches. And he says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, homosexuals, lesbians, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I've seen so many people in churches who identified themselves as Christians who actually despised me when I told them what God had done in my life. They love to praise people, but they don't want to hear what God has done. Oh, my, this happened to me over and over and over. Paul says they are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I've had so many people come across my path, both ministers, pastors, and individuals in churches, that I have had to correct, and then they have taken that correction and twisted it. I have had to correct them again, and they've taken that correction and twisted it. They cannot hear what I'm saying, and they can't get it right, because they are not of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. They deny the scriptures, the power of the scriptures to rule over them. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I have gotten to the point that when I see them ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, I just walk away from them. You can't do anything with them. 
Only God can give them understanding, and until he gives them understanding, I cannot share with them. Now you'd think, by sharing with them, they would understand. That is not what I found. We have had people in our own church group, one woman for 39 years who never could understand, and twisted things. Jesus said in John chapter 8, in verse... 43, Jesus said, and this he's speaking to the religious people, the leaders of his day. He said, why do you not understand my speech? I speak to you and you don't understand me. Even because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44, ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. The Apostle Paul told us in the last days there would be so many deceivers and things would grow worse and worse. And I know he meant in the churches. Because he said they would have a form of godliness. A form of godliness. Back to Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Jesus warned us of the last days. He said at the end times. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many will come in my name, said Jesus, and will deceive many. They come saying, I'm a pastor, I'm a prophet, I'm a Christian. And they deceive many because when they say that, you let your guard down. You know the world will do that. It's the church which is so dangerous. So Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24. They came saying, What is the sign of the end time and the sign of your coming? And Jesus said, The first thing he said about the sign of his coming, Let no man deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. This is where we live right now. The two things that had to happen before Jesus could return for the church. One of them was a falling away in the churches from Scripture and allowing Antichrist to come into the church. That's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul said Jesus could not return until there was a falling away and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself all that is godly. And he sits in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. That had to happen first. Then the second thing that had to happen before Jesus returns is the gospel being preached all over the world. I think Internet has been enormously 
helpful with this fulfillment of this part of the requirement before Jesus returns because our blog goes all over the world and our podcasts go all over the world. Recently, a man came to me identifying himself as an electrician, and he said, where do you minister? My goodness, all over the world. What does he think ministry is? What is ministry? It's preaching the word, sharing the Bible. For an apostle prophet, it's correcting doctrines, and prophets are always trying to get you to correct yourself by Scripture. That's our work. And we preach all over the world today, though we don't even leave our house. We can go all over the world with the Internet. I believe that's part of the fulfillment that had to be done before Jesus can return. And, of course, the Great Tribulation has to come. God will shake the heavens and earth and turn. The sun will go dark and the moon will not shine before the great and notable day of the Lord. And then Jesus returns. He takes the elect off the earth. And then the heavens and earth are destroyed by God with fire. That's the end. That's the, what the Bible says happens in the end of this world. In the meantime, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse in the churches, deceiving and being deceived. They, you can recognize them. If you tell them something God's done, and they just stand there and stare at you and say nothing, they don't love the Word of God. They don't love the things of God. They don't delight in the Word of God. They just wonder about you. But those who really love the Word of God, you tell them something that God has done in your life, and they get excited about it. But you're going to find most people in churches do not. They do not delight themselves in God or the Word of God. They delight themselves in their churches. And they're always telling where they go to church, but not what God has done in their life. I have never, in the past years I've been doing the blog, which is since 2012, we started podcast in 2020, but the actual blog in 2012, in all that time, all these people have come to me saying they are pastors. Not one of them have ever told me anything God has done in his life. They tell me what they are doing. They are building old folks' homes. They are building schools. They're going all over the world and speaking to people. They're giving Bibles to everyone that comes to their meetings. They tell me what they are doing, but they never tell me what God has said to them. Not once. And even when I ask them, they don't tell me what God has said to them. One man came here to the house after I moved to Colorado Springs. He came here to do some extermination. When he found out that I was of God, he quickly began telling me that he went out in his spare time in the summers and did ministry, and he wanted to tell me the cities he went to. And I stopped him, and I said, No, wait a minute. 
how did God tell you to do this? Well, he just froze. He didn't. He just froze. He didn't know what to say. I said, how did God tell you to go out and do this? He couldn't tell me. He was not of God. I see it over and over and over and over. They come in the name of God. They say they're Christians. They even say they're ministers. And they can't tell me anything God has ever said to them. They're not of God. And when you speak to them, they just go silent. When you share things of God has told you, they become like dead stones. If we delight in things of God, we are excited when we hear others speak of things of God. But we are in a very perilous time at the moment. And it will be worse and worse up until the time Jesus comes. So Paul says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, and that's in the churches, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now who is it that has taught you? Not me. (laughs) Not some preacher. It's God. He has put the truth directly in you. So when you hear truth, you know truth. You may try to think the other things are true when you are disturbed over them. You may try to go along with them. But when something's really true, you know it. Because God has taught you himself. He has put the truth in your heart by the spirit of truth. And Paul says this, And from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Almost everyone will quote one scripture, but it's all scripture. When we have the spirit of truth in us, we are corrected by all scripture and we conform ourselves to the scriptures of the New Testament Bible and we live by all scripture, agreeing that what God says is correct. For example, he says the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. How about that scripture, Matthew 5.32? There are many people who will agree, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But they will not agree that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is what Jesus taught. See, we will conform our thinking to all scripture because that's what God said. Paul says in this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Therefore, the Bible is to us like God is standing there personally saying it to us. All scripture. So it is not up to us to twist the scripture to suit ourselves, but rather 
to change our thinking to conform to the scripture. And that's how we go forward. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.